So the whole book of Hebrews, we're carrying along now in Hebrews chapter 3, the whole book of Hebrews could be boiled down to one point, I think, and that's this point that Jesus is superior and worthy of more glory than anything else we can come in contact with or imagine. The author of this book constantly is going to point us to Christ and will call us to consider Jesus. In the past few weeks, we have already considered the fact that Christ is the one through whom all creation was made. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He is superior to angels we saw in chapter 1. In chapter 2, we have considered how Jesus fulfilled Psalm 8 when he became lower than the angels in order to fulfill his mission on earth and was subsequently crowned and exalted and now has put everything in subjection under his feet. He tasted death so that those who put their faith in him don't have to live fearing death because ultimately Jesus has defeated the power of death and the devil who holds that power. He has also defeated the power of sin for us. He has accomplished our full salvation in our justification, our sanctification, and glorification. In order to do this for the offspring of Abraham, he became like his brothers in every respect in order to be the appropriate sacrifice for the sins of his people. These are just a few aspects of his character, just a few of his character aspects and accomplishments that we have already seen in Hebrews. It's amazing. So as we move forward into chapter 3 today, and throughout the remainder of this book, the question that we need to be asking ourselves is this, what should we be considering about Jesus? Up to this point, the author has been explaining huge themes, Huge theological, doctrinal subjects have been covered, but now we're going to move into a time of exhortation. The author is going to shift his attention specifically to addressing the, the listeners directly. So while all of the letter up to this point has been applicable in many, many ways, now the author is going to get personal, and he wants us to begin to see what all of this means for us. What is the course of action that we're called to? So if you're at home or in the room today, please stand with me as we read from Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 6. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence, and our boasting, and our hope. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful for this time. Uh, again, just for this gorgeous uh, weather we have and uh, an opportunity um, to begin to, to gather together, Lord. And we do wish that uh, we could have everybody here, but we're thankful just for uh, the ability to live stream. Um, I pray as we walk through Hebrews today and for the remainder of the time we're in Hebrews, we would just, uh, I pray that you would just open our eyes to see 
uh, how great Jesus is. I pray uh, that you would continue to uh, help us to be a community that loves one another well, that glorifies Christ, and that points each other back to the only hope that we have, and that's in him. And all this we pray is in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. So we're going to be moving through this passage by first seeing the exhortation to consider Jesus, who is our apostle and our high priest, and then we're going to unpack why we ought to consider him, because he is superior to Moses and subsequently every other person. And we're going to end with seeing that we are being called to consider Jesus as our ultimate hope. And all of this is so we can learn how to live faithfully as members of God's house. So the author begins by addressing the people as holy brothers. He turns his attention directly to the holy brothers, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling, as he calls it. Immediately, again, we are reminded of who we are in Christ. Jesus came in order to reconcile a people back to God, a people that moved beyond ethnic and national lines of the Jewish people, a people of every single tribe, tongue, nation, and language we see in Revelation 7. Every people group, every skin color are now holy brothers. This includes sisters as well, so don't worry, women. That includes you also. It could be translated brothers or sisters. So in Christ, you are made a holy brother or sister. And we share in a heavenly calling. Everybody, I would venture to say, at some point in their lives, asks some form of these two questions. And that is, why am I here? And what do I do with that? Why am I here? What's my purpose? And what do I do in this life? The author is reminding the holy brothers and sisters that they share in a heavenly calling. The two biggest questions that they could ever ask in this life had been revealed to them. And if you've put your faith in Christ today, then these questions have been answered for you as well. The author addresses the holy brothers, and we are included in this by reminding them of who they are and how God has given them a purpose through their heavenly calling. The calling could be uh, considered heavenly because it comes from God. God has revealed himself throughout the ages through direct speech through creation and nature. He spoke through the prophets and in the written word as the Holy Spirit guided individuals to write down God's word. But ultimately, he was revealed fully and most in his son, Jesus Christ, when he came to earth. But this is also a calling, specifically, because we have been given a way to God, a direction and purpose for our life that fulfills our greatest need. We were created to know, to experience, and to image God. But when sin entered into our world, everything was distorted. So we need someone outside of ourselves to break through, not just break through, but to lead us back to God. Christ did this. He broke through the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, we read in chapter one. He made a way for us to be reconciled back to God. In verse one of chapter three, we read that Jesus is called an apostle and a high priest of our confession. He's called an apostle because he is God's representative among human beings. 
An apostle means one who is sent. And he is called a high priest because he is our representative in the presence of God. The Old Testament writings show how God revealed himself to people over the ages and how they responded to that revelation. In both of these ways, the writings find their full and complete fulfillment in Jesus Christ. For he is the one in whom God has revealed himself finally and completely. He was the perfect apostle, capital A, sent from God. But to take it even further, he was the perfect embodiment of humanity's obedient response to God. He was our perfect high priest who lived perfectly and represented us before God. And he eventually became the perfect sacrifice for our sins as well. Jesus fulfilled God's revelation to us and the response needed for this revelation. So Christ both fully revealed who God is and what our purpose is here. And he's given us the proper guidance in what to do with this reality. It's amazing, mainly because it is a work of God's grace from start to finish. He revealed himself and we found out how powerless we were to reconcile ourselves back to God. So he made a way for us to be reconciled through Christ. So now we can actually live as we are created to. That is what the author is reminding his readers. One verse, all of that. He says we're to remember this heavenly calling and that we share in it because of what Christ has done. If you're in Christ today, you are adopted into God's family. You are called to share in the eternal rest. You've been set apart and a multitude of other amazing realities are yours because of what Christ has done. It's incredible. We're told we need to consider Jesus in light of these truths. I think that in the Christian life, we can often practically treat this idea of considering Jesus as something that's uh, for those who maybe don't know him yet. You know, I, I'm guilty of this from time to time. Someone who maybe is living and uh, following another road in life that's leading them down a path that is astray, and we share with them, hey, you know what? Maybe consider Christ. There's a better way. Jesus has made a better way for you to live. And while this is true, that we should all consider Jesus, as followers of Christ, we are called to consider him all the time. We often talk about this idea that the gospel isn't just the ABCs of our faith, but is the A to Z. The, th the same thing could be said of what it means to consider Jesus, because to constantly apply the good news of what Christ has done for us in this life, we have to gaze at Christ. We have to look to him, always. And it's so easy to slip into a mindset that's focused on the things of this world only. So we put our faith in Christ, the distractions of the world come, and the deceptiveness of sin does not go away once we've done that. Although the power of sin has been defeated, the presence is still there. There is a temptation to look to the things of this earth to bring us ultimate satisfaction and to give us ultimate answers. The author of Hebrews is stirring up this idea in his hearers, that we have to consider Jesus in order to remain faithful to this heavenly calling. And it's not something that 
we just do once, but it's continual, day by day, month by month, year by year, until Christ calls us home. Because the moment we look to something outside of him to find our ultimate purpose, to find our ultimate direction, we are going to be risking taking a step down a wrong path. The main exhortation we have here is consider Jesus. And the reason is so that we can remain faithful. Now, the author gives us this exhortation. He, he says it first and he explains, kind of gives us the reasons why he's telling us this. And he knows that to consider Christ and remain faithful throughout this life is not just an easy thing to do. We can't just say, oh yeah, great, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make this conscious effort. No, it's hard. There are lots of temptations, lots of distractions. Even good things can be distractions. So he brings Moses to the forefront to remind folks how Christ is greater than even any person that we could look to. One great and gracious thing that we have in this life are other brothers and sisters who are great examples of what it means to live faithfully. To live faithfully, obediently following Jesus, glorifying God. And if we just took a moment to stop and just think about the great men and women who have modeled for us what it means to live a life that is faithful to the call of God and Jesus Christ, I'm sure anyone in this room and who's listening could probably name a few. Some of us, many. And praise God if that's the case. Personally, I can think of a handful right now who God has used immensely to shape my life and understanding of what it means to live in communion with God always. But we live also in an age that is incredibly resource-rich. We have way too much content to ever, ever take in. We have many fantastic authors that have produced great material for us theologically, devotionally, doctrinally, topically, when it comes to our understanding of God's word. We have podcasts, we have YouTube, thankfully, we have live streaming websites, etc. We have all of these great, fantastic examples of faithfulness, both in person and through means of resources. We have these great examples of faithfulness to Jesus Christ, through all of these platforms. And these are good things and helpful things that God uses. But often on the negative side, we give in to this celebrity culture, the social media culture of our age, and absolutely this has impacted our church culture. There is this emphasis to put too much temptation on humans, to put too much temptation, excuse me, too much emphasis on ourselves. And if we wrestled a little bit internally, I think we would all see how we easily can slip into very subtle, subtle forms of idolatry of maybe a certain person who has a platform we follow or somebody that we like. We can, we can very quickly follow them even more than we take time to consider Jesus Christ, to let someone else do the thinking for us and take what they have as the truth no matter what. There are many instances where various uh, theologians and uh, other folks who have walked before us in the faith are great examples to follow. 
as long as we remember who it is that they should be pointing to. If you look at verse two for a minute, we see how Moses is used as an example of this. It says, who is, talking about Moses, who is faithful to him who appointed him, excuse me, talking about Jesus there, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. So if we take a minute and think of a good example of a person who exemplifies faithfulness to God. Take just a second and put that in your brain. Someone who really fulfills this heavenly calling of listening to and responding to God faithfully. In this time of the, of the letter of Hebrews, there were a few people who would have had the status that is closely or that is close to Moses for the early Christians. Moses was like the guy that you wanted to be. Anybody who's in your head right now you were thinking of, Moses is probably better. He would have been like, for athletes, the Bo Jackson. If you don't know who he is, look him up. Or the Michael Jordan. Or for musicians, he would have been like the best one at whatever respective instrument you like. For Christians today, he would have been like anybody you love to just go and listen to their podcasts or authors that you like to read. I would argue that Moses was a greater example of faithfulness than anybody we could think of. And the author Hebrews of Hebrews wants to hammer this point to our heads that Jesus is far greater than even Moses. Great example, Moses was. Verse two is actually quoting a portion of Numbers 12, seven, and talking about how God has revealed himself to the prophets, Numbers 12, Seven and eight says, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Moses is an uncommon example, even in the Old Testament, who combines this role of a divine envoy, right? Someone who God speaks through, speaks to, and priest. He was a mouthpiece for God one who mediated between God and man. Prophets and priests like Moses do not exist today, just to be clear, and they don't have to. That's because Christ has come. And the author here is driving home this point that no person, yes, even the Hebrews, Moses, the great example of their faith, Christ is way better than even him. And while we should honor and emulate those who are great examples of faithfulness, we should only do so because of the fact that they point to someone greater. We read why Jesus is considered greater than Moses in verses three through half of verse six, where it says, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. So there's a couple things here that we see how Jesus is greater than Moses. First, we see that he's superior as, a, superior as it relates to God's house. So God's house could be referring to either the actual house, the temple or the tabernacle of God going along with the reference to Numbers 12, or it could be talking about the house of Israel, the people, the house of the people of God. 
At the end of the day, what we see is that Moses and Jesus were both faithful in carrying out what God the Father appointed for them to do in overseeing his household. But Jesus is considered to have as much glory as the builder of the house, meaning that Moses related to God's house as a member of the house, just like us. He was one of God's people. But we see that Jesus is the creator of the house, the builder. Christ, the Son of God, the one through whom the universe was made, is the founder of the house. And even more than that, in verse five, we see that Moses was faithful over God's house as a servant, but Jesus as God's God's son. This means that God's house was not just created through Christ, but was created for Jesus himself. He is the founder, the provider, and the inheritor of the household of God. He is far greater than Moses. Jesus is the builder of the house of God. That is who he is. He fulfilled and continues to fulfill his mission completely faithfully, better than anybody else could have done. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to see who we are in relation to him today. In verse six, it says, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So the point of this exhortation, again, is to consider Jesus, remain faithful and serving to remind the followers of Christ to not get too comfortable and forget what they are called to hope in. The writer of Hebrews is constantly gonna go back to this point. He wants us to see what it means to live faithful lives throughout the entirety of our life. What it means to trust in Jesus always. And it's tempting to read verse six and get a little bit freaked out because it's really easy to slip into a works-based mindset. A mindset where we constantly are telling ourselves that in order to be right with God, we have to hold fast this confession and boast in Jesus as our only, only hope. We have to do those things in order to be right with him. And while it is true that we actively do those two things, it's important to remind yourself that we do these only because of the grace of Christ, only because he has first revealed himself to us. We do not earn our salvation through faithfulness. Rather, faithfulness is evidence of our salvation. So if you're worried about your standing with God, then know this, you can do nothing to earn his favor. That's good news because deep, deep down, we all know, whether we're in this room today or we're listening through the stream, we know that we are not that great. But hear this, God absolutely loves you. And Jesus has made a way to be reconciled back to him. All you have to do is accept what he has done for you through the cross, his death and resurrection. Faithfulness, faithful living, living by faith, or whatever else you want to call it, is simply holding fast to the confidence that you have in what Christ has done for you. 
and boasting in Jesus as your only hope for life and joy and peace and your full salvation. That's living by faith. So the question that we can ask ourselves practically is, what do we put our hope in? What is our confidence in? What is your hope in? What is your confidence in? Asking these questions to ourselves rhythmically throughout our life is a good way to help us fix our eyes on Jesus. Because if anybody thinks that we can find our ultimate confidence in this world, then we're going to be missing out. We're going to be missing something. A very brief survey of world history, hopefully, would leave you realizing that we do not have things figured out. Money doesn't solve everything. Politics doesn't solve everything. Power doesn't solve everything. Perfect physical health doesn't solve everything. What do you put your hope in? Is it your possessions, your successes, whatever those may be, your health? Maybe you put your hope in your hard work. Is it your political, social, and cultural leanings and preferences? Meaning if society and politics and our culture was exactly how you would want it to be, would that bring you ultimate confidence, ultimate hope, ultimate satisfaction? I think a good question, a kind of a good litmus test that we can uh, run by ourselves to get a gauge on where our hope is, is asking ourselves, what's the one thing or the one person in this life that if I lost it, I would feel completely and utterly lost myself? Or another one, whenever you feel the emotions of anger or worry and anxiety or a desire, ask yourself, what is it I really want? Ask yourself, what do I really want? What is this emotion stirring up in me that I want? These are questions we have to be asking ourselves all the time because even as Christians, we can easily be deceived by sin. And we have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, it says in 1 Peter 5.8. And we're called to resist the devil being firm in our faith. There's a reality that sin is deceptive. And we have an enemy who is active. The devil wants us, would love nothing more than for us to think that he doesn't exist. It's an interesting time now where there is a lot of temptation to find confidence in the things of this world. Because we are still, even though things are opening up, the reality is that we're still facing this pandemic. We're confronted in our society with a lot of pain, with a lot of hatred, with a lot of racism. We have a polarized society, and it's leaving a lot of people wounded and hurt and questioning across the whole spectrum as followers of Christ, we're called to hope in him alone and be faithful in the midst of a tumultuous time. Faithfulness is cultivated by constantly gazing to our Jesus, who is our hope, and then moves us towards action, going and sharing about him and living lives that exemplify his love. We could spend a long time talking about ways to cultivate faithfulness. But I want to hit on two that I think can be pulled from this passage very quickly. And first, 
I think we have to have a very clear and healthy view of who Jesus Christ is, meaning we need to be in God's word. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, we read that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. In verse one and later on in verse 14, we read that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is described as God's word, the one who reveals to us who God is. We need to know about him. We have the luxury of an abundance of Bibles and theological resources. And before you get too deep into all that's out there, or if you don't know where to start, I would say consider Jesus. Learn about him. Cultivate intimacy with him through prayer and studying God's word. Don't read your experience into what you want Jesus to be, but rather let the Holy Spirit show you who he is through God's word. And then live accordingly. We struggle with this desire to master God's word, to master doctrine, to master theology. And those are good things. But in order to do it effectively for God's glory and the good of others, we have to let it first master us. The second way to cultivate faithfulness is by recognizing that we don't have to go through this life alone. The writer of Hebrews addresses the holy brothers. That is plural. English lesson. DS makes it plural. And those brothers share, also indicating plurality, in a heavenly calling. It's not an individual thing. God's household is made up of many people. This is so encouraging because it means that we have others who God can use to build us up and we can be used to build them up likewise. To live each day in a faithful way, we can't do it on our own. Primarily, we have the Holy Spirit who indwells all believers and gives us the strength. But by God's grace, we have others who we have been graciously blessed with to care for, to love, and to serve. If I have learned one thing through this season of quarantine in the last few months, this season of distance, it's how much I take for granted the relationships I have been so blessed to have. So many little things get in the way, little things of genuine loving community within the body of Christ, the household of God. So I urge all who are here today and all who are tuning in to the live stream to consider Jesus, to consider how he would have us approach one another. The one who is the apostle, the one sent from God, the one who is our high priest that we need to mediate between God and us, the God-man, second person of the Trinity with whom we have the opportunity and privilege to follow every day of our lives, the one who sustains us in our faith and the one who is the object of our faithfulness the one who we can hold fast to in confidence and the only one worthy of boasting about. Consider what he has accomplished for you. Consider what it means to be addressed as holy brothers and sisters, what it means to share in a heavenly calling and what this means for us as we go and enter into a hurting and very divided world. Will we be participants of this household 
is the question I ask. Will we be ambassadors that spread his love and the gospel of reconciliation to a culture that needs something greater than what we can find here? Let's take a good look at what we put our hope in and rest in the fact that Jesus is our hope. Jesus offers ultimate hope. And a life that is marked by faithfulness and following him will look very different to the world around us. And by God's grace, we will be used to display his glory as we exalt Christ, consider him always, and faithfully follow him by his grace. So normally we take time now to participate in the Lord's Supper, where we remember what Jesus did on the cross, how his body was broken and his blood was shed for us. And we lament the fact that we still today will not be taking that together. But there is light at the end of the tunnel, and I hope soon that we can come face to face and participate in the Lord's Supper together. But still, let's remember what Christ did, how he is our maker, the apostle we need, our great high priest, by whom we can be called beloved sons and daughters of God because of what he did for us. May he have the glory and may we consider him always. Let's pray. Lord God, it's, it's good to, again, just have this opportunity to be with one another here and also have the opportunity to, to live stream. And um, I do ask that you would just really stir in all of our hearts, individually and collectively, uh, just stir in us a desire to consider Jesus always. I pray that we would not just leave Sunday mornings and go about our lives separated from constant abiding in Christ, but that we would be ambassadors for your love and reconciliation to this culture, and that we would point others to the only ultimate hope that there is. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would be stirring our our hearts, our affections uh, for your glory as we exalt Christ and also just uh, our affections for one another as holy brothers and sisters. I think that this is just a time where the world needs to see your church loving one another well and displaying your glory, your justice, your peace, your reconciliation Lord, and I pray that you would use us to be a part of that mission. And all these things I pray, Lord, are in Christ's name, amen.